Welcome everyone. Oh, it's good to see you once more in the middle of the summer. So it's been quite crazy weather all around us, but we're, we're surviving it. So thanks for coming, even though it's been pouring outside. Um, so really thankful for you guys. Um, good to see some familiar and some new faces too. So welcome. This is a good day. Um, but um, we've been actually um, going through um, the Act series. Uh, we've been going through the second third of the book of Acts since uh, the beginning of the summer around end of May. And we're coming to the end of the series. We have a couple of more sermons um, and then we'll be done. And then we'll probably do the third third of the book of Acts next summer as we have done the first third of the book of Acts last summer. And it is all on the website, on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So you can always go back and listen to, to our sermons there, to our teachings. So um, today, though, we are actually um, talking about the Jerusalem Council debate on circumcision and law-keeping on Gentiles. Gentiles mean non-Jews, everyone that's not a Jew. Um, and the letter to the Gentiles believers in Antioch. Now, if you remember, Antioch was the first multi-ethnic, inter-ethnic, multinational church in the history of Christianity. Because as we've gone through that already and, and talked about the background of Antioch in past chapters and sermons, uh, we've talked that Antioch was the third largest city of the Roman Empire. It was just after Rome and Alexandria. So it was a, it was a big deal. It's like a New York City of the time, right? Like all languages spoken, people from different backgrounds, right here in Antioch, in the middle of it, where they kind of spread out through other places from, from that centric place. So, um, so you might be asking, um, what are we looking at? And, and if you haven't been in our, in our series in the past weeks, what, what we're looking at is um, we've, we've been learning the sending nature of the triune God, as well as the importance of the church's empowerment by the Holy Spirit, who is God, um, and embody, um, to go and embody Christ on earth. So we, the church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, embody Christ on earth, bringing the message of hope and healing to a broken world. Now, in the last weeks, though, we've gone through a lot of stuff. We've, we've talked about how the gospel has been expanded to the rest of the world and hence making the gospel inclusive of all people, fulfilling a promise which progressively was revealed through Old Testament times. Um, we saw uh, this embodied by God's direct involvement. We saw that on chapter 10, where God gave visions to both Peter and Cornelius, both of them influential leaders at the time. When a Jew and the other a Gentile, where the Lord wishes are more than obvious, right? We see that the gospel was for everyone. So we talked about that in past chapters. Um, we also talk about um, the multicultural church in a global city, that's Antioch. Uh, the, first the first and only multi-ethnic Eastern religious movement since its origin. And you might guess that that's Christianity. Uh, we saw how in Jerusalem the disciples were followers of Jesus, but then they also had a lot of persecution. 
We see how James was killed, and then Peter was in prison by Herod. And then also, finally, last week, we got J.Y. reminded us that just as the apostles were filled by the Spirit and were able to heal the crippled, so we're filled by God's Spirit through Christ. And that just as a cup, what is important is what's inside and not the cup itself. When you're drinking water, you're drinking what's inside. The cup doesn't matter, right? If it's uh, if it's, you know, different shapes, forms. I mean, if you're thirsty, you just want a cup of water. As long as the cup doesn't have any bacteria, you're good with it, right? So same with us. We come from all kinds of forms and different cups right here in the church. And the God uses us because we all have the Spirit of God, regardless of our background. So we, we see how we as imperfect vessels of God's healing power to a worldly need around us. We are uh, a world ourselves that are in need of God. But some of us have found Jesus. Some of us are exploring about Jesus because we probably have a sense of need. And we as Christians believe that the answer is in Jesus. Now today that we'll, we'll be looking at how part of the Antioch church, and that will be the focus of, of today, was deceived by some believers. So th- this was people that believed in Jesus. This wasn't just random people or Jews that did not believe as Jesus as a Messiah. No, these are people that believe that Jesus is a Messiah, that he came, lived the life we should have lived, and died the death we should have died for our sins. Was resurrected. They believed all of that, but guess what? They added stuff. And, and, and these believers who... who thought we need to add our our own works to a gospel that is all about grace. That means undeserved favor. We don't earn it through work. It's already been given as a gift. And now how in our day and age we're also deceived, just as the Antioch church was, which is a multicultural, interending church. uh, We're deceived uh, by our culture, by religiosity, by our flesh. Um, so that in order to be whole, to be at peace, we must work out our salvation. We must do something in order for there to be a consequence so that we can have a sense of wholeness and peace. You know, have you ever had those thoughts in your mind that run and it's like, OK, I have this thought. I'm worried. Let me do A, B or C. And once you do A, B or C, you feel peace. Right. That is you trying to fulfill a need by your own way, by your own like strength now there are certain times that you could do that temporarily but what if you lose a loved one? can you raise them back from the dead if god wants them to go into his presence well what will you do then will you do a b and c to to kind of bring peace to your heart we can't we realize we're morals we don't have control of the things outside and god wants us to realize that he has done the work himself so that we don't have to so, so then we're going to see that. We're going to see that, that, um, that we'll also look at two things that we should avoid as Christians. That is idolatry and sexual immorality, which is mentioned there. And how avoiding this does not have to do much about doing good works. You might be saying, Peter, but you just said that we're, we're to rely on grace. And now you're saying that we need to avoid two things. That means that we need to work for it. Well, the thing is that these things that the apostles are trying tell us to avoid are not transactional they come out of a relationship they come out of a place of love right which is unlike the works that we do that we can earn out to get 
love. So it comes from love, not for love, right? It's a big difference there. Um, so rather than to do, uh, you know, breaking trust and relational bond between God and humanity, which now has been made possible through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, so we're going to talk about that. Um, but let me tell you first, though, now that we've gone through what we're going to talk about, what we've gone through, and where are we heading, uh, give you an example here. Uh, uh, the gospel is relational, not transaction. That's very much the theme of today. The gospel, what's the gospel? The message, the good news, Jesus' story is not transa- is relational, not transactional. What is that? Wow, who's familiar with this? I think like 95% of this room is probably familiar with this. Um, so, yeah, no, no, I don't know uh, them, by the way. I found, found them online, okay? Um, so, yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, we got some people re- represented here uh, from New Delhi and uh, Manila. Okay. Uh, but, uh, we got some Filipino and Indian here. Come on. <laughs> Come on, Vanessa, let's uh, so, so, why do I bring these pictures? Because, um, uh, let me tell you the story. I, I myself have had these kind of visas. I had the F1 visa, and I had the R, R type. The type class was an H1B, but I got the R type, which is an, also an R type, which is a work visa. So, so that... So what do I what do what do I put that up, that up there? So I we have a relationship with uh, the government, especially us. Even if you're a U.S. citizen here, uh, you do have you do have certain laws that you must right follow. And now that we see the Pharisees here, believers, were telling that these Gentiles need to be circumcised as a sign that. You know, they follow the law, and then they got to follow the law, right? And then also, in a way, you know, when we have a transactional relationship with the government, a transactional relationship with the law of the land, you know, we somewhat have a transactional relationship maybe with the president of the United States, right? Or the government or the mayor so that we don't do certain things we shouldn't do, right? And, and, and this is quite a transaction. We're all familiar, right? Um, and, and, and this, this, this transaction has to do with, okay, if, if I have a, a student visa, I study, right? I, I got to study. And if I don't study, they, there's a possibility that they can catch me and deport me, right? But, you know, that is what I came to do, to study. So then you have a transaction. The, they are entrusting you with, use, with this visa so that you can study or with that H-1B visa so that you can work in a specific place. Right? So there is a transactional relationship, you know? Or even when it comes to, let's say, Joe Biden, you have a transactional relationship through that, but also you know about him, you know his picture, you might see him say a couple things on the news, right? But you don't really know that person relationally, right? Maybe some of us will see Joe Biden or some other figure that. Uh, what, whoever you, you might see in authority um, as someone that is not reachable, unreachable. It's not like I 
you can call right now to a president or to someone that is high up in authority and be like, hey, do you want to meet tomorrow for lunch? Uh, probably not going to happen, right? And probably you cannot even reach to a person, right? Uh, you can know about it. But, but a lot of us see God like that. And, and, and some of these Pharisees saw God like that. That faraway figure that we need to kind of follow the law kind of thing. You know, I know about that person. But, but, but that is a transactional relationship. God wants an intimate relationship. Kind of like the relationship I have with Andrea. I can call, text, you know. And it, it is not that, okay, we've met. Like when we did the vows and, of marriage, Andrea wasn't like, okay, if, if you do not get this job in two years, then we're going to divorce. Right? That's the transactional relationship. Or if you don't get a PhD, you're not going to... Yeah. Or if you're not going to work, if we do not move to Peru in a year, then I'm not going to continue to be married to you. Like it wasn't a transactional relationship. That would have been transactional. It's, there is something given so that you can have to fulfill that. Some of us have that with our parents, you know, like we have sadly uh, somewhat transactional, you know, though they might have not say anything, but there is an honor thing there. Like, oh, I need to, to study and I need to work because otherwise... They might disinherit me. But that doesn't... That, but, you know, it, that, in that sense, it's transactional. You know, there's a transaction there. But, but with God, you know, there is love that is not transactional. No matter what you do or don't do, no matter what you say or don't say, His love never changes because it's yielded on the work of Jesus Christ. So... Stay with that. We'll go, we'll go back to that. All right? With those visas, really. Um, so now, going back to, to, to our, the passage here, we, we see on verses 1 through 5 that the Antioch church was influenced by salvation through work. Right? We see that um, on verse 5, it says, It is necessary, you know, to circumcise them, and to order them to keep the law of Moses. So these Pharisees that were there in the Antioch church were saying, no, 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 it, it is a duty. It is not like, it's not a, it wasn't even an option. He was saying, like, well, if they want, they could. He was like, no, it is necessary that they should do these things in order them to keep the law of Moses. So these are well-intentioned Pharisees. You know, Pharisees were people that followed the law, but now these Pharisees kind of came to know Jesus, but added, continue to add things of their culture. Uh, and then they still hold on to a false doctrine carried by their Pharisee culture, carried by their Jewish culture at the time, that salvation still needs to be earned through human effort and work. And as I said, on, on, the, on the Jerusalem council, they even said that the believers were saying, no, it is necessary. So just as them, though, we will also have the temptation to add something about our religious upbringing, our cultural upbringing, and add to the story of the good news of Jesus, of salvation. The gospel. Guess what? That only adds burden to our shoulders rather than relational wholeness and peace that salvation truly, that, that truly brings through grace alone. Grace alone is, is undeserved. You don't earn it. 
the, the sin that you carry, that, that's your wrongdoing, your thoughts, all that stuff. He came to die so that you don't have to carry it. But then we put that burden on us and then we put that burden on other people. We start having expectations like these Pharisee believers had. So, so the anti-church was influenced by a salvation, by a gospel that you have to add works. You got to do stuff. Okay, then in verse 6 to 28, second, we have that the gospel was ratified by Peter, that's the apostle, right? Uh, and the other apostle, that salvation through grace, that salvation is only through grace alone. Salvation through grace alone is, is ratified. Now, there is no distinction between you and me. There is no, as one of my professors at seminary, that's a school for theology, said, um, he said, there's no junior Holy Spirit, you know, well, maybe Piero or Lara has a bigger Holy Spirit, I might have a little kind of version of the Holy Spirit, <laughs> you know, because I, I, I don't really pray much, or I don't really read much, or, well, well, that has to do with your work, right? That has to do with the things you do. Hence, that's not the gospel. Because you're thinking about how little you are and how awful. Oh, I just got drunk yesterday. Oh, yeah, I have a junior Holy Spirit. God probably mad at me. If you come to Him and, and, and repent, you, you, you have the same Holy Spirit that will cleanse you and empower you just as empower the apostles. There's no junior Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what he says. He says on verse 8, uh, Peter said that, And God who knows the heart bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. By giving them, these Gentiles, that you're criticizing them, that they're not getting circumcised, that, that they should follow the law and be good. Guess what? Just like us, them too can have the Holy Spirit, Peter said. There is, there is inclusivity in, in the gospel. So many times that we want to put that burden on others. Sometimes on ourselves and that which we expect of ourselves, we will expect on others usually, right? The way we want to be treated, we want other people. The way, other peop, uh, the way we want to be treated, we, we let people know that they should be treated, right? That's that kind of how, how it works. So many times we put the burden of self-accomplishment, philanthropists and neighbors, like let's do good stuff outside in the world, being a good citizen, a good neighbor, other cultural norm, norms that we naturally carry given our family and cultural origin. But Peter tells us here that even though the Pharisees were imposing something to others, they thought came naturally to them, um, he ratifies that they themselves are not even able to uphold it. How many times have we added unnecessary burdens and heavy yokes on others and ultimately on ourselves these unnecessary worries that ultimately go against the doctrines of being whole by grace alone? In verse 10 through 11, it says, Peter was saying, Now therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples? The yoke is like where the, the you know, calf were like, put the yoke and then they will, will be uh, carried to do the work of agriculture. So the burden 
of the yoke, right? He's like, we're placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear. But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus as they will. So, so he's saying that, oh yeah, yeah, well, well, I don't understand why these people, you know, they don't work as much. They're so lazy uh, or whatever, you know, you put certain things and then. The reality is that you yourself cannot accomplish perfection, cannot accomplish these works. To to be able to be holy like that, right? Because the Bible says there is no good, not even one. If you have a bad thought about someone, you're not already good. You've already been, you know, pinched with unholiness. He's saying you cannot be able to save yourself unless... Someone that has the ability to carry such burden, who's God himself and perfect, can do it for you. So, the antichrist was influenced by salvation through where you got to add something so that you can feel good about yourself. So you can feel whole, so that you, you, you got to work your salvation. The Pharisees like that because then they like, look at what I have done. I'm so holy because I have accomplished these things through grace plus my works, you know. In this case, uh, the, belie- the believers that were fired. Yeah, yeah, it feels good. It feels self-accomplishing, you know. And then, how about you guys do the same? Because we've gone through that. We've gone through the whole work. And we've studied and we've been circumcised. You should go through the same pain that we've gone through. We're good people. You, now you got to go through the same, Right? That's what's going on here. Peter says, no, it's, it's grace alone. You cannot do it. And finally, we have the gospel is relational and not transactional. Verses 20 and 29. Um, there are two things, though, that the apostles prevented the believers to do. Even as they upheld the doctrine of being saved by grace alone. And that was to abstain from idolatry. By not eating food that has been sacrificed to other gods. And to abstain from sexual immorality. So now if you see that in the letter that they wrote. You see that we have therefore sent in verse 27. Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden. No, you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be circumcised, follow the law. But this. To abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols, from blood, what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep yourselves from this, you will do well. See you later. Farewell. So, they don't want to put any burden, but then they come with these couple things. And one of, as I said, one of them is idolatry, and the second one is sexual immorality. And now I'm going to talk about these two. Because these two are not transactional. <clears throat> It does not have to do with me. Usually what the Pharisees were advocating had to do with their work and what they can do. And, and, and doesn't have to do anything with relationship. You know? And, and that's the thing. Because idolatry has to do more with a relational issue. And not just a moral issue. When you engage in idolatry, you're saying no to Jesus. Being your Lord. Meaning your boss, you're the one that lords over you. And you're saying yes to another to take control of your life. 
And this does not apply only to figurines or statues back then, right? Like, they were like, don't eat the, the meat that was sacrificed. And even now, we have that because of different, all kinds of religions. But Christianity will tell you, no, don't eat that that has been sacrificed to all these other gods. Because then you are allowing yourself and saying that they have a piece of your life. And God is saying, no, I don't want, this is an exclusive, inclusive religion. There is only one Lord that can lord it over you, and that's Jesus, right? So, so he's saying, he's saying um, you know, don't do anything uh, that will allow others to lord it over your life. Now, for us, that, that could be something like meat that was sacrificed to others in some cases, uh, but, but we're also talking about your job, your self-accomplishment. We, we also talk about a human relationship. Some of these can be even be good things. Uh, but it becomes idolatry when they become priority, when they become primordial, first in our lives. That is that they lord it over you, over me, over us. They take control of our thoughts in our daily life. In other ways, it takes significant space in your mind to cause you to become anxious or depressed. And your emotion will tell you if you are falling in idolatry. What are the things that take a lot of space in your mind? That is what the apostles are trying to say here. We don't want you to do idolatry because then you have allow others to become your Lord. Now, in our day and age, it could be very well money, it could be career, it could be relationship, it could be so many things. Now, the emotions are the gauge of our soul. It gauges our soul like, like the car's engine will tell you when you need gas. That's your, that's your anxiety sort of gauge. When the car will tell you that you need a check, you need to put some oil in your car, because there's a light that turns on. This is the same with emotions. Emotions are not wrong, are not bad. God created them so that it can give you an alert. Now, if you have alerts over alerts over alerts over alerts, then you become numb to those alerts, right? Have you, I mean, if you've ever owned a car or like even your phone or whatever, and at first you're like, oh, what is that alert? And then you're like, oh, whatever. And the alert just kind of there, you know, chills there. I mean, for those that own a car, maybe you're familiar with the check engine, but you know that your car is fine. You just leave it there. You just become numb to it. At first, you were like, oh, I wonder what that is. But then you're like, whatever. That's, that's also with our souls. But it's going to come back. A year or two later, your car is going to like, the engine's going to burn. And then the mechanic is going to be like, did you ever had a check engine on your, on your like? Oh, you, oh yes, I remember there was one, like about a year and a half ago. But there wasn't any sound or anything. It wasn't that big deal? He's like, come on, man, come on, you, you, you gotta come. I mean, that that has been like for a year. It has been like deteriorating to the point that now your car is burning. It's gonna cost you about five thousand dollars to replace the engine. 
That is the same with our souls. You have to allow your emotions. Maybe right now you're fine. But then two years old, later the mechanic will be like, oh, well, you know, like, your heart is so, like, burned now. What are you going to do? Right? That's how it is. Do not be tricked by numbness. It will come. Allow it to go to the mechanic, in this case, Jesus, to come and help you, to heal you. That's idolatry. That's when we allow other things to take over our lives. Right? So allow anxiety to be that check engine in your life. And when you feel numb, go back to that alert when it comes, when it was there before. Right? Allow the depression, that sadness. What is it? Go back to the root of things. Now, the second thing they talk about is sexual immorality. And, and I, I always wonder why. I mean, now, I'm not saying sexual immorality is a worse thing than, let's say, uh, lying or stealing. I think God says, like, he's not saying, oh, you know, like, like sexual immorality is minus 100 and stealing is minus 50. I don't think it's like that. Uh, I think there is a level, uh, I think all sins are alike. All wrongdoings are alike because they all will bring you trouble, right? To you and others. But, but what they're saying is the consequences of it will be worst. Now, God will forgive you as much as he'll forgive you of other things, but he's just looking out for you because he loves you. He's like, hey man, this one over here is going to cause you more trouble. He's going to open doors to the enemy, those demons, which are spiritual beings that are not in God's side, and you're going to open doors to that stuff. You know the whole Ouija thing and the whole stuff that you see on scary movies out there? Well, that's real. That's called Satan and demons. All right? Just so you know. And then when you do this stuff and you wonder, oh, why am I anxious? And why am I like, why I have this tachycardia, like they say in Spanish, like this heart rate and stuff. I mean, maybe you've opened yourself up to a lot of darkness, right? And, and there needs to come freedom, but freedom can only come through Jesus. So, so God is saying, hey, you know, like this particular one, it's, it's, it, it, it's not that, that oh, it, it, it hurts me more. I don't think like, oh, that hurts me more than you stealing. I don't think so. It's more like, hey, that's going to cause you more trouble. That's going to cause you more consequences. Um, and, 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 and it has to do though with giving up your whole being to another, another person outside God's designed boundaries. That is within marriage, which has God at the center of that relationship. And, and like other sinful actions, when it comes to sexual immorality, having sex before marriage, that's what it means. One is not just giving one's body to another, Right? It is not just giving one's body to another, but you're also giving spirit and soul and mind. It's a holistic giving up uh, through sexual intercourse. The two become one. The two people become one. No matter if it's outside or inside of marriage, become one. And also become one and their souls and spirits are interconnected to the point that it can become quite messy. Though our culture would like to downplay this, it is naturally obvious that sex is indeed an act of intimacy. 
where you are laying down yourself in greatest vulnerability to another. Now, this has a lot to do with intimate relationships without commitment, which can be utterly dangerous. Intimate relationship without commitment. Sexual immorality. Uh, the, uh, is setting oneself up to emotional distress, wounds, demonization, among other challenges, right? And, 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 and it is not just a partial giving up of oneself for another to lord it over us, but rather a holistic, relational giving up of having another lord it over us. And this not, not just to the other person which you had intimacy without commitment, but also the harassment of the enemy through the shame and stuff like that. So, so, so that's the thing. You are giving yourself up without a commitment. You know? And, 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 and that's, that's, that's bottom line idolatry, basically. Right? I mean, think about it. If you're just getting to know someone or you do this thing, you know, but the day after you can just leave. There's no commitment. You're not committed uh, for worse or for good or when you're tired or you're sick. Like, we can, I can pack and leave. It's, there is no commitment, but you have given your whole to that person. What is that going to feel like if you've given everything to the person, all of a sudden that person leaves? Because that's an intimacy without a commitment. That's going to be hurtful. That's going to really mess you up. It really messes us up. So in conclusion, though, many times like the Antioch Church, we allow our family of origin, culture, and the world around us to influence our worldview, right? That's one thing. Thinking that we need to make it happen through our own work. We might feel we need to make sure to have the perfect resume sometimes so we can find the perfect job, get the best grades by studying hard so we could find a good job after graduation. Sometimes we want to be charming, friendly, and even not true to ourselves so we can find a suitable boyfriend-girlfriend, right? Like, we will try all these things, and at the end of the day, it's so that we can get something in return, <laughs> It ends up being about me. I mean, I'm charming because I want to be loved by someone else. I study hard because I want grace so that I can get a good job, so I can get more money and I can please my parents. You know, it's, it is like a thing that comes back to you. It's uh, at the end of the day, it becomes a selfish thing, centered on one's self. So we drill a, a relationship and the people around us through transactional interactions rather than relational interactions. We look out for our own survival or our own good. We love people so that we can be loved back. We're nice to people so that I may be treated nicely. I look at my unworthiness and then I become self-pitiful because I make it all about me. You know, I poor me. You're looking at yourself. It's about me. Right? I look, uh, I look for networks all around so that I can get a good job. It's about me. We analyze ourselves, make others our idols, your work. You give ourselves in sexual immorality as how God's intended boundaries with marriage or give part of ourselves by putting others, ourselves, or careers before God. You know, you're just giving yourself up. 
So my hope is that the letter that was written to the first multinational ethnic church in the history of Christianity, the Antioch Church, this letter that we just read, will be a letter that we take as our own as later inheritors of the gospel through their work of sharing it. And also we as an interethnic international church ourselves to not make it about us, about the I, but understanding that we do not have to rely on our own strength. That it is no longer transactional, but it, is, it now has become relational because God chose to come down to earth to approach us rather than stay in heaven so that we could and successfully try to reach him through our imperfect, imperfect actions. Now we can fully live without anxiety in the wholeness and peace that the gospel of grace has to offer. Right? In Jesus. Let me just circle around here with this story. So that's me and Andrea. Just so you know. Um, kind of obvious. But uh, that was in, uh, in Africa and Mozambique. We, we got engaged on the top and the right. And then on the left down... That's in our wedding. And we kind of randomly found that around the area. So we kind of went in and took pictures. And it actually snowed that day, which is a beautiful, was very beautiful. Uh, you know, there was snow and it was November. So, so anyways, um, so you remember the, the passports, right? And, and transactional and now relational, right? Um, so the thing is that when it came to the visa, I had a transaction to fulfill. I, I had to, you know, to study if I was in a student visa, I had to work in this job if I was in a work visa, right? And if I didn't do that, then I, w I, I was going to be in trouble with the government and could have the danger of being deported, right? And... And then that's the transaction. You follow, we let you. You don't, you're out, right? Very transaction. Oh, poor thing, we don't care. You know. Oh, but you know, I didn't know. Huh? Sorry, get a job in your country, right? It's just transactional. They're not going to be merciful to you. Like, oh, poor thing, you know. You know, go back to Peru, man. Get a job. <laughs> it's the transaction, right? Like, it is not relational. There is no true commitment. The only commitment is you follow that, I'll follow this. You don't, you're out. Right? But, 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 it, but with marriage though, it's, it's no matter if I change jobs, if I become sick, or, or if I'm a student or not, right? Uh, uh, I, we did not marry with, ha with having a transactional requirement, Andrea and I but rather a commitment of sacrificial love that even in the worst, we're going to try to figure it out. We're not perfect. It's not like our relationship with God. It's a bit different because we're two imperfect people and we have the third, third party in us. That's God who leads our marriage and allow him to lead it and not our selfish desires because otherwise we'll probably be divorced by now, right? Because if we are followed by our, you know, our, our flesh and me, 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 that's what there's a lot of divorces because... I want my own way, she wants her own way, and then if we don't agree for a while, then we're going to just split up. And this just happens. It's just selfishness. So, so it is a commitment to, 
sacrificial love, our relationship is not based on requirement like the Pharisees wanted the Gentiles to have, but it's based in relationship. But not a casual relationship, but a committed, lifelong relationship like marriage. Jesus didn't want the boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, and that's why they didn't allow sexual immorality, because it's not like, oh, you know, like we're kind of giving ourselves up to each other, but then I can be out of here. You know, it's commitment, it's uh, intimacy without commitment. It's, it's neither the transactional relationship that we saw with the passports, right? Or with, it was the Pharisees. Like, okay, you do that, and then you're good, and if not, then God's not gonna like you, you know? Because you're not doing these things. But it is based on a sacrificial love. It is through the most intimate relationship on earth. But the interesting thing about God and us is, unlike me and Andrea, though, I hurt her a lot and she hurts me a lot and we hurt each other, but then God comes and we, we forgive each other. Well, the difference is that, that with God, it's like we, we are evil, we are bad, we do our own thing. We, and if you're like, Peter, but I'm pretty good. Well, check again. <laughs> When was the last time you, you desired ill to someone because they didn't agree with you? Or like you, you judged someone because of how they looked? Or because of a homeless person or someone that looked different than you or have a different kind of way of thinking? I mean, we have a level of sin, potential of wrongdoing, which is ultimately wrong being, through the fall. Of sin. Just naturally how we are, sadly. But not how we were intended. Sin has contaminated who God wanted us to be for the first place. And that was to be for himself. To be in relationship set apart to himself. But even though we were like that. God chose to come approach humanity rather than. Most religions, what they do is you must approach God. You must leverage the gods. You must follow the commandments. You must do this. You must do A, B, and C. And maybe you'll get closer to heaven. Or maybe if it's an, uh, uh, a deist uh, religion, then it's more like, well, if you do certain things, you might find fulfillment and wholeness in the universe, right? Either one. But you got to do something, right? Or don't do anything, which takes work too. Um, so... But then God is like, no, I'll come to you. I'll love you sacrificially. I'll, I'll give myself to you. I'll, I'll carry the consequence of the evil that you should have. I'll carry the consequence of the life that... I will live the life. I'll give you an example how you have to live it, even though you didn't live it. And I will die the death that you should have died because of the things and the consequences that you've gone through. That's the gospel. That's the marriage. And God is like, you are the bride. I am the bridegroom. He wants that relational intimacy within commitment and not just a transactional commitment. So wherever you're at today, whether you have, have all these check engines in you and you've put all of these idols before you, or whether or not you, you have been convicted by some of the idolatry, sexual immorality, or, non, or transactional stuff today, God wants to bring you a true commitment to Him. 
intimacy with commitment and not intimacy without commitment or transactional relationship. He doesn't want to be Joe Biden or in your life do you know about someone. He wants you to be like a bridegroom and a bride that they have access to each other every minute and the hour and even more so as God. He wants that relationship. So let's bow our heads to finish up today. God, I just pray right now that you bring conviction to the hearts. Maybe we have check engines and that check engines have brought, Lord, uh, anxieties and maybe depression, maybe sadness. Or maybe it brought it in the beginning, but now it has been numb. And we're like that driver that's been a year and we don't even care because we don't really hear anything or we don't really think anything's wrong. Whatever it is, God, we have brought some level of idolization in our lives. And we pray, God, that, that you will allow us to come back to you. Forgive us for those things. And, and for those that, that are uh, exploring Christianity, and if you have been convicted, you can pray, God, i just sorry because I continue to live for my own, for my career, for my studies, for my kind of stuff and, and, and not for something bigger and you've come, you've died and I believe that you've died on the cross for me so come into my life today forgive me for that indwell with your spirit and so Jesus I pray God whether it's idolatry, sexual immorality whatever it is God we want to have not a transactional relationship with you no, a genie on a bottle kind of relationship with you, Lord, where we come and for your hand to give us things and not for your face, for your presence. We pray, God, that we will have that committed relationship of marriage to you because you love us first. And through grace alone, we can be fulfilled. In Jesus' name, amen.